Today, me and my co-host Alva interview John. John is an entrepreneur from the Netherlands and he's living and working in Hong Kong and China. He also runs an IT agency in Hong Kong and is involved in a company registered in Estonia. Today we compare once more the advantages of the Estonian e-residency program compared to other countries. And John also tells us his funniest culture shock moment in China. So I hope you find some value in this episode. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta, and Matthias. So, welcome everybody. Welcome back again to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. Today, I have the amazing, well, honor to have one of my fellow countrymen with us uh, in an interview. Hi, John. Hi there. Good morning. And my amazing co-host, Matthias. Good morning. And what we're actually going to do today is talk about investing through a company slash holding company and all the pros and cons related to that. And I'm actually really looking forward to it because this is a topic we've covered a bit in the past with Mike Rappuner, mentioned shortly and briefly in other episodes, but never fully in depth. So today we hope to bring it towards you. So to all kick it off, John's. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Who are you? Where are you from? And what is your relation to FI? Yeah, sure. So like you mentioned, I'm from the Netherlands. That's where I spent the first, I don't know, 25 years. But currently I'm living in China. I relocated to there about uh, six years ago. And I've only recently just really become very serious with, uh, with FI. But I've always been subconsciously on a journey towards that moment but i i wasn't really aware of the the whole fire movement and, and retire early and financial independence kind of uh, things even though i came across some resources like money mustache quite a few years ago but it didn't really really click yet but yeah that's a little bit about me living in in china now doing several things taking advantage of of the lifestyle there to accelerate and have a great life and then at the same time hopefully accelerate my financial independence journey okay so and how do you make your money so tell us a little bit more about maybe your day job yeah sure so living in china to be there legally you need a visa and a working visa tourist visa is pretty easy but for a working visa, you need to go through a company. So I have a day job there. I work at a university teaching computer science, which provides me uh, with a very stable, nice basis. So I get a, a decent income, apartment, and working and living legally in, in China. So that is, that is my foundation, basically, at the moment. And beside that, I have two companies that I, that I run to supplement or accelerate my financial independence journey. How many hours are you teaching? I teach about, uh, it's about, it's pretty part-time. It's about 20 hours a week. Uh, actually, a little bit less. Let's say between 15 and 20 hours on average. Okay, and on the side or as another day job, you have these two businesses. And um, yeah, what are they about? And why two? Isn't, isn't one enough? <laughs> yeah, sure. I wouldn't really say they're, they're on the side. I would say that the day job is more on the side for me. It, sure, it takes time but I'm pretty stable with that. And my main focus for financial independence are, are my two companies. And what they do, uh, I have one business where it's a Chinese slash Hong Kong business. So it's actually two entities, but we help international businesses do something online in China, which is quite a bit more difficult than anywhere else in the world. 
license regulations, just the connections, how things work. And we have one uh, other company in, in Estonia that does uh, an online service providing. Cool. So it's like your strategy essentially is you've got your steady day job going in China. And then the true thing that's going to get you to FI are your own companies, like the ones that will make you the big bucks and which will actually like propel you towards FI. Is that correct? Yeah, ex- yeah ex- exactly. The day job is just the foundation and takes care of pretty much every every cost, all my living costs. And then why you ask why why two companies? Well, why not? If diversifying, same with investments, you diversify, right? So don't put all your all your apples in one basket. See what what works. I was lucky enough to be able to become a minor investor in the Estonian company, so I'm a minority shareholder in there. But it, it's got quite some future potential, so that's exciting. Good stuff. In terms of other investments, I've also read your uh, blog hustletoindependence.com. And you also seem to be pretty into peer-to-peer lending and ETFs them as well. Like how big are those, you know, in your plan towards FI, like using peer-to-peer lending platforms and stuff like that? Yeah. So like I said, I was always on an FI journey subconsciously, just working through it without really knowing that it's FI or FIRE or the whole movement. But only recently I've started to actively invest in, in more traditional or peer-to-peers, maybe not super traditional, but those kind of investment uh, methods like index funds and ETFs and peer-to-peer, those are my more traditional investments. But I've always been investing in myself and investing in my business, like building a business. If, if it gets bigger, it becomes such a big cash cow without lots of effort. Building takes a lot of effort, but once it's there, it just keeps on turning and turning and it can go on for, for months or years without a lot of input once it's finally set up and running. Cool. I like that because obviously, you know, we can get our 10% from peer-to-peer or like 6 or 7 from ETFs, but in the end, you know, we, we, we do need something to actually get the big bucks in, you know, having a couple K or 30, 40 K or whatever in peer-to-peer lending, that's not going to get the job done to like, to watch like the actual amount we need actually to take another note on that. Uh, let's jump into the main topic of today, which in essence is using a company to legally lower your tax burden in terms of investing and how you can play around with that in terms of the system. And I think we can get a good discussion going on on that. So Jones, what I would really like to ask you why would somebody invest through a company? What kind of advantages do they gain out of it? Yeah, sure. For me, having a company, I've always been an entrepreneur, so it just makes sense to me. But I've just recently started linking the investing uh, part to it, which I was uh, like subconsciously already doing. But now it even makes more more sense when you think about it. You get revenue in your company and you can basically spend the revenue before it's being taxed why would you like there you we can pretty much eliminate a lot of of taxes if you use it for certain investments so you you get money in and then you invest it and then you're being taxed over what is left over in the company in most cases every every jurisdiction every location has their own specific rules but that's that's the basic id spend money before it's taxed Gotcha. And then the actual amount you have left to invest will be way higher versus, for example, I work in the Netherlands and, you know, I earn my 40K and I pay 50% tax. If that actual amount would have gotten, you know, 
into a company in Estonia and not text on that 50%, I could, you know, have way more left to actually invest and get to FI way faster. Exactly. You, you just have a, a bigger range of money to, to do investments with because you're, you're lowering your, your tax burden. Isn't it hard? Like, you know, I can imagine that lots of banks and investment platforms are like, okay, hey, you know, there's somebody, this weird person coming with a company who wants to invest in us. Why, if 99% of the world doesn't do that, why would we help them doing that? Aren't there like many platforms who are like, yeah, nah, not for us? Yeah, potentially, but but so far it's been, in my opinion, it's been pretty pretty easy running your own business, uh, especially globally. As how I'm doing it is is definitely not super easy. Uh, but in Europe, there's many platforms that are open for corporate accounts, um, especially the newer peer to peer platforms that we we talked about uh, a bit earlier. You just send them an email, they they open an account, you just send them the company documents and. Basically, in the same amount of time as a, as a personal account, you can have a corporate account. But every platform is different, of course. But uh, there is definitely a, a wide range of platforms available, in my opinion. Cool. And I've seen that you also invest through Investio in Europe. Yep. Is it like any different? Like, do they charge you extra if you're a company? Or is it just the same as me as a private person? Actually, I, I have two accounts with Investio. I have a personal and a corporate account and have been able to <laughs> actually refer the corporate account for my personal account so i'm getting <laughs> i'm getting a bonus for referring myself sort of <laughs> i like that uh, it's another three percent so it's it's not that bad actually but yeah no it was exactly the same no no different costs at least so far like they can always change the rules in the future who knows but investio is in is a startup mode so they're just taking on every account so far i have a feeling but yeah no extra no extra cost or no extra extra rules just have to don't send your passport, but company documents. So it was pretty, it was pretty easy with Investio. Could have maybe they're also a lot more open-minded because they're, um, you know, also kind of like a startup themselves. Because like one thing I've seen, really seen in the Netherlands that corporate accounts and credit cards and everything always seem to be a, and a mortgage is a bit less lucrative than the personal ones. Maybe that's just you know a thing that they do in the Netherlands and other countries. They're a lot nice towards companies. I have also the feeling that these peer-to-peer platforms, um, it's, it's much easier to create business accounts than uh, like on German crowd investing platforms or banks maybe, because they have a lot of, they have really to put a lot of effort into building the regulation into their process, into their onboarding process. And for example, at Companisto, I've seen a really big forms where you have to put all your information into and yeah, it's also it's easy, but not as easy as in the peer-to-peer platforms. And they have a lot of regulation to, to care about. And are there any um, cons like investing as a business or in, in, in Estonia, for example, instead of just using your natural person? I, yeah, there can also be definitely cons. Running or incorporating a business costs money. The upkeep of a business costs money depends in in where which jurisdiction you are the the costs are definitely different so i mentioned i'm in hong kong hong kong is definitely not the most expensive but also definitely not the cheapest place to incorporate and upkeep your your company estonia through the e-residency program the costs are quite lower but it also depends my businesses are are for a function for the business and i just add on the investing part so far it's not just a pure investing business for me. But yeah, upkeep is, is definitely a, a con of uh, this. 
But what I think uh, many uh, listeners are also interested as a maybe not have a business, can you also create a business um, just for the purpose of investing without having any products and services you sell? Is it possible? Or Yeah, definitely. I would recommend uh, um, for people who haven't had yet, look at the e-residency program in, in Estonia, which is quite popular. You can definitely use those businesses as an investment uh, vehicle just for that pure purpose. Cool. So there is no rule that you have at least a certain turnover or revenue uh, with the company. You can just say, I create, open the business, and then I send over from my like German account, I send over some thousands of euros. And then I create from the business side, I create, or with the Estonian business, I create some peer-to-peer -peer accounts and then just leave it as that. Is that possible? I couldn't. Can't believe that. <laughs> well, also don't forget that the company does have a purpose. It's an investment company. It's an investment holding. It's not like an empty shell. You know, there's a true purpose behind it. And obviously, you know, the way John's has done it, that's a natural way kind of, you know, to me it sounds, you know, having your company running, providing real services, making money with that and, you know, then reinvesting that money. That does seem to make a lot of sense. But in the end, you know, it's kind of the comparison between, you know, say... I believe starting something up in Estonia is, you know, somewhere like two to 50-ish euro uh, to just start it up. And then afterwards, you barely have any recurring costs besides a few bank accounts and insurance fees. But that's like really minimal. So say you have to spend 250 up front and 20, 30 euro a year afterwards. That actual cost versus, you know, the same situation where you have to pay 50% tax over your salary comparing the two against each other and when does it make sense to invest in that case obviously everybody with a normal salary of 30 40k in europe they will easily beat the 250 cost by avoiding well not avoiding obviously legally avoiding having to pay taxes pretty quickly yeah that's um, yeah that's interesting i might do that <laughs> <laughs> but, but then again you have to get a system with you because i don't believe many companies are like hey you know you go freelance and we'll hire you through your own company just because you want to i mean i think it's something pretty difficult to actually organize mm. yeah you have your your company to or where you're working for you have to they should agree on that okay and Then, John's with them. Also, really wondering about what kind of options are there out there in the world? Because I know about Hong Kong and Estonia now, and uh, the Cayman and Virgin Islands. What is all out there in the world of company investing and starting companies like outside your own country? The, the, yeah, good question. There, there's uh, a lot out there. There are the the things we've already talked about, and then there are the the, the famous ones, the Britain's Virgin's Islands, Caymans, and, and some other small island states. People go there because there's like almost no taxing or 0% taxation on, on a lot of things. But they come with a lot of negative connotations. It doesn't have to be negative that you have a Cayman Island company, of course, if you're a full legal company. But there's that, that mindset associated with those areas. So beside those kind of low taxation havens, there are, are Singapore is quite a popular place. And there's definitely other locations where you can plant your flag boom and yeah a good example would also be andorra in europe we interviewed Araminta's dad who has done that in the past as an andorra they have no income tax well they had no they still have it at this very moment but they had no income tax no vat no capital gains tax 
at all as you know our little own tax haven in Europe and I believe San Marino and Monaco are also you know examples worth exploring well Monaco if you have a couple billion maybe but the other ones you know also for normal people what I'm then also wondering about because obviously all those little countries with you know their company uh, options to open them they sound kind of competitive to me because like um, we've had a bit of an email conversation in the past and like you were quoting in terms of Estonia that they'll charge you 25% if you withdraw um, a salary or take dividends, which is a lot lower than most, you know, actual tax rates. But the cool part is you can grow your investments tax-free within the holding if you don't take them out. Yeah, that, that's one of the super interesting things of, of Estonia. If you don't take money out of the company, it's not taxed. It's only taxed at the moment that is withdrawn as salary or as dividends. And if you just leave it in there, do nothing or reinvest with it, it's taxed. It's not taxed. It's just 0%, which is a great option to much quickly grow your, your, your capital. That's pretty cool. And Hong Kong is the first 2 million Hong Kong dollar. They're only taxed at 8.25%. That's also a pretty low rate. Yeah, the, the first 2 mil is at 2.25%. Uh, and then there's even options in Hong Kong. If you don't have any services, any uh, staff, no office, no clients in Hong Kong, that you can apply for offshore status. And then it's 0% as well. That's not easy. And you have to prove that you're paying tax in another country but it's definitely also an option that's out there which reduces in a, in a very solid place to zero percent or very low in the less than 10 percent range for the first two mil and it's all in, in in hong kong it's all in english you can you can just set it up in english there yeah the, the cost for incorporating are, are pretty low they're higher than estonia for maybe two three thousand euros two and a half thousand euros you can have everything set up for the first year and everything is in is bilingual, but uh, everything is in English. If there's, uh, I don't deal anything in Chinese uh, in that in that sense. So from my point of view, it sounds like the, for for Europeans who have not have no business in China, Estonia would be the the go to place because it's a little bit cheaper to set it up, and also you have this yeah the the link to the European payment system. Yeah, but, yeah. I, I agree with that. Um, getting access to fintech solutions through your Estonian business is, is much easier than, than in Hong Kong. Um, actually, I'm struggling with my Hong Kong company. Uh, I've lost two European bank accounts in the last two years because just the rules changed and they stopped providing the service, um, which is a definitely not fun experience as a, as a company. Mm-hmm. So you, you created a, a Hong Kong bank account now, or what did you do? We, we always had a Hong Kong bank account, but we have quite a few uh, European customers. So they just prefer to pay on a European uh, bank account, which is much faster, uh, much cheaper, and, and way easier for everyone. Hmm. And maintaining that is not that easy, but there, there are definitely solutions out there. It just takes more effort and time to find them and, and get onboarded at those platforms. You have all your employees are uh, in, in Hong Kong and, and no one in, in, in Europe, or do you have some in Europe? Um, you have, for example, to pay their, their salary to, to a European account and stuff like that. Yeah, so we, we still have uh, uh, some staff members in, in Europe. Actually, we don't have anyone in Hong Kong. We have people in China. Uh, and Hong Kong is just only the enabler for, for my business. 
I don't do anything in Hong Kong except that I have a company there and a bank account. That that's that's all. Um, but Europe and uh, in China, that's where I do my business and that's where we have people. Um, mm. And I, I just pay the European staff just a normal bank transfer. There's nothing nothing strange about that. Okay, so you 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 just work in the home office then, or or are you traveling regularly to to China then to see your employees? I, well, I, I live in China, so I have staff around me. That, but yeah, we are a very virtual company. Mm. We we don't have a fixed office. We just meet when we when we have to. Mm. And with European, it's only virtual. Sounds modern. Sounds like a. I think it's more. It's more and more the future that you don't have. You jo just go to the office if you if you need to. And yeah, just wondering right now what what happens to all these offices <laughs> if you don't need them anymore. Well, I've heard that there's a big shortage of places where people actually can live. Let's convert them all to small, modern extra <laughs> studios, and then we yeah. can all move in and have an affordable place to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would be cool. <laughs> anyway, actually, I think they've been doing a lot in the Netherlands, changing up old offices in that sense, and you know, then suddenly you have five, six hundred studios. But to dive back into the topic of FI. So, like, in the Netherlands, there's always this principle where people are talking about SPAR-BV, so, like, saving company, which, in essence, is an investment holding you can invest through. But the upfront cost and the upkeep are so high that it only makes sense if you have more than 300k to yourself available. This also really sounds that, like, for normal people like us, it's possible to open something up in Estonia, pay it to 50 upfront, and invest through Estonia, and have actually access to quite a few interesting tools like investment vehicles and in that way you know if you think about it if you would actually do it and do the research you could like you know speed up your fire journey by years by avoiding having to pay like your actual 40 50 percent income tax and in that way you know say you do that for five six years you've got your money then you move to portugal or to whatever place and you just pay yourself out out of your company And the company, you know, obviously can pay a bunch of hotels and things. And then the remaining part you have to live off, you just pay yourself out of salary or a dividend. It almost sounds too good to be true. No, yeah, I agree with that. Um, it, it sounds too good to be true. But in my opinion, it's, it's not too good to be true. All these massive international companies like Google and Apple and Amazon, they, they take advantage of the rules that are out there. The old school countries like Netherlands, France, Germany, it was much more difficult if you don't have a lot of capital. It was always possible, in my opinion. But now through these new programs, the e-residency or going through Hong Kong, these kind of options are becoming accessible for normal people who are definitely do your research, definitely get someone involved in, in planning of this. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. But yeah, why would we have to follow the rules Why would everyone have to be an employee and work till they're 70? Just break the rules and find your own way in life. Exactly. Obviously, it takes research because from what I've read and heard on our uh, one of our last episodes with a micropreneur, it does take a bit of an investment to start up a company in Estonia. It's not like, you know, opening up a bank account and you're done in 30 minutes. You do have to do some accounting and pay the fees up front and do research. It, it, it is a, you know, you're going to lose more like one or two full days of like actual work to get this done. It, it's not just like, you know, copy paste and be done with it. it. It does take research and thoughts and, you know, what works best for my situation, um, what makes sense on the long term, on the short term and comparing that all out. And also, 
will your country even allow you just moving your job and hiring yourself out uh, to an Estonian company? Cool thing about Europe is that we can actually do it. But, you know, if you're somewhere else, it's it's so personal that it's, you know, really do your research. And also as a disclaimer, we are no tax consultants or tax experts, just guys who like this stuff and find it interesting, have tried it out a bit themselves and discussing it and hoping it will provide value to others and inspiration, but always do your own research. So Matthias, do you want to do the next question? Yeah, I think John's uh, told us that he has some funny stories about China. <laughs> I would like to maybe hear some of them, but we can also do that later, of course. Well, living in, in a new country or a faraway country is always exciting and adventurous and, and definitely some, some weird stuff can happen. You know, there's plenty of stories going around, but something that has happened to me personally was that we we were at a big group. We, were, we made a reservation early in the morning in a, in a small little restaurant. It was really still small, maybe like, I don't know, less than 10 tables, but it was, it was really popular. So we made a, a reservation in a, in a private room, which is very normal in China to eat in a, in a private room in a restaurant. And then we came back for lunch and then they forgot about the reservation and they put another group in, in that room. Mm. So the group I was with, was like I was the only foreigner. The rest was all Chinese. We were like, I don't know, 10, 15 people. They all started screaming and shouting and being being upset, hmm. <laughs> which which is understandable to to a certain degree. But they went on quite a bit long, and then the the chef cook he came out and started waving around his big chopping cooking <laughs> cooking knife plate <laughs> thing. Okay. So and I don't really enjoy screaming, so I was outside of the restaurant. I already walked out. Like, okay, you guys can go scream for five minutes. I I'll, I'll go walk uh, outside, right? <laughs> and then they all yeah. came running running outside of the the restaurant, and I was like, okay, what's going on? I, I went to look, and then I walked into the restaurant, and then I see the the chef coming with his big chef knife towards me. Well, I was not, <laughs> everyone else was already. I left the restaurant, so I was the only one in there, and then <laughs> then he kind kind of got a scared and they're like oh it's a foreigner uh, he didn't know what to do and i was just standing there like yeah well he's not gonna do anything but yeah that that didn't escalate any any further but <laughs> the, the, the police eventually came involved because suddenly the foreigner was attacked by by the by the chef which wasn't really true but anyway so the police came involved and then in the end the chef had to apologize to me so He's only he's Chinese. He doesn't speak any English, so they they were teaching him English on the spot to mm. to apologize to me. Yeah, that, that was that was really interesting and weird. And then in the end, he started decided like to hug me and like, oh, I'm sorry, which was super awkward. Uh, like <laughs> weird stuff like that, totally out of your control, can happen in China. That's uh, yeah, wow. it's, uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's totally weird. Yeah. So normally we we in Europe not not uh, yelling too loud or may, maybe just women. Uh, okay, don't have to say yeah, that. Yeah, it's very very Chinese um, yeah. or very Asian actually, but it, it's definitely a cultural thing for sure. But it, it's it's nice that that the Chinese chef had to hack you and um, yeah, say well, sorry. I, I rather not. I was trying to avoid that, but uh, that, that was <laughs> that was super awkward. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. So um, yeah, complete. Just um, yeah, different um, different place. So I I might have to go there to get the culture shock of my life. Then <laughs> it's definitely the first time you go there. It's definitely a, quite a culture shock for sure. And the first time I went there was two thousand seven. So that's already ten years ago. 
and, and things are changing very fast there, but no. Yeah. And one of the things you, you mentioned um, earlier in this interview was that you've been subconsciously on, on your FI journey. I think there are many, 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 many people who, who don't know that they are on the journey to FI and that, that there's this whole subculture around us in the community. Yeah, so because I also was just investing in stocks and trying to invest in startups to get yeah the high leverage around that and uh, i didn't know about this the whole fi thing and now you have the as you have the community and you have the the structure and the, the knowledge around that you can pursue that on a much more structured way than without but i'm just wondering how many people are out there who are on the journey without knowing that that's really important maybe we have to do some statistics and <laughs> find out well the, the more resources there are out there the, the bigger the community the, the more people get in touch with it and the more people can can structure it more but that they're just being out there on their own journey without really realizing it or giving it a name is already great right so they're mm. they're trying to improve their their lives and their in their futures if they're really aware of the fire movement or, or not, but at least they're, they're they're working on something. Yeah, it's also cool that there's a name for it. That you that you're not a, just a stranger who's doing strange things. You can just say, "I belong to this community, and I'm doing this." <laughs> and yeah, sometimes it's important <laughs> just to have that. Yeah. As long as we don't turn into a Scientology church or something, I think we can all make it work. But uh, yeah, I, I think some. Founding some religion is pretty profitable. Um, it has high margin, you know, <laughs> low cost, low cost. Yeah, I mean, effectively, just when you were talking that story, I was, yeah, I, I'm happy I muted myself for a second because it really made me laugh. Like I've spent quite a bit of time myself in Asia, but I've never experienced something like that. But uh, yeah, no, that's that must be, uh, yeah. Interesting uh, to go through, but I would say that now, you know, we've covered some pretty cool things today and it's slowly time to wrap up and dive into the final questions of the interview. We do that every single interview. We have three questions uh, for our audience and uh, see if they can answer them and uh, what happens to that. So to get started with like the first of the final questions, uh, John, where can people find you in terms of blog, email, phone number, Twitter? How can they talk to you? Sure. I guess the best way would be through my website. So that, that could be my blog or my uh, company websites. The blog is uh, Hustle to Independence because I believe life is is just hustling. You gotta you gotta make it work uh, in in your way. So I guess we can can link that up in the in the show notes later on. Yeah, that that would be the the best way to to reach out and get to know more about me. And of course, you maybe have a WeChat account. <laughs> uh, of course, and and my and my WeChat account, but. Uh, I'll keep that private, uh, Sarah, for yeah, yeah, yeah. too many people on there reaching out. If, if we go further into discussion, I'm always willing to share. But uh, at first, maybe the email yeah. is best. Yeah. Is there any resource? I mean, you, you have quite an experience uh, in, in the global world. And is there any resource um, for our audience that you can recommend that maybe is not so well known um, for related to FI or side hustling or hustling and anything? Yeah, sure. Everyone knows Rich Dad Poor Dad, but he has written more books. So my recommended resource would be Rich Dad's Guide to Investing, which is very relevant to, to this point where he just goes in, where he mentions the four different quadrants that there, there, there you can use. 
but where he goes into the business side of investing and why it makes sense to uh, use a business for investing purposes or for building your FI, uh, basing your FI journey around that. So yeah, the Rich Dad's uh, Guide to Investing is much less read, I think, in the community than the original one. But I definitely still worth uh, a quick read, even though he repeats a lot of things. Yeah, I just wasn't re reading it because people said there he has different books, but they are all the same. But anyway, they couldn't be the same. Maybe there's like 30, 40% of different content. So it might be worth reading it. He repeats a lot of things, but still, I think that one is, is, is worth having a look at. Cool. I'm going to check it out. So, Jans, the last question of today, uh, what is the number one actionable tip for someone on the path to FI or getting started with it? What is the one single thing you say that has a really big effect on the whole journey? And for me, it's always just, just do it. I see so many people locked, and not just on FI, but, but anything in, uh, in general. Uh, just locked in like indecision just make a decision and try something and if it doesn't work out then go the opposite way or change something but don't just sit there on the couch and, and do nothing take a small step or a big step but then then see what's going to happen but yeah do something act you are a true entrepreneur act see what happens doesn't matter if you feel just go on and see what happens Exactly. And it's better to lose money now than not do anything and, and miss all the opportunities. Start small and then, and then if it works, grow bigger. Absolutely agree. Well, anyway, John, thank you so much for coming on. I think this is for everybody listening to it. It's certainly for me. I've absolutely learned a lot through it. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Yeah, no problem. It's been a blast. Thanks, you guys. Yeah, thank you very much, John. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing through your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.